0: Good morning, Journey. So I'm going to try to preach like a champion today. Like that's the first time that sign has ever been in my office. It doesn't hang there uh, often, but I'll do my best. So thank you for being with us so much um, on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads and the granddads and maybe the fathers-to-be who are with us today. You know, my life changed forever forever on July 31st, 2001. That's when my first son was born. Um, And my life changed in a lot of ways, from the amount of time that I would sleep, from the amount of money I would spend on others versus myself, for the calendar that I would have. I mean, life changed forever when I had my son, but probably more than anything, my life began to change spiritually. My life began to change theologically. Because when I had my son, I realized a different level of love than I ever knew that existed in me. I think I really... Began to learn what unconditional love was when I had a son. And I had never viewed God as loving me unconditionally until I had a son. And I realized God loved me not only the same way, but much, much deeper than I loved my own son. So my life changed when I had kids because it it helped me see God in a different way. And then a few years later, I had a daughter um and you think you love your son until you have a little girl and something just happens inside the heart of a dad when they have a little girl and girls do things that your sons will never do my little girl Casey I know she will not only probably give me a card today but she'll give me a story because Casey's been writing poems and cards and songs for me I think since she could write as a matter of fact when she was in kindergarten she wrote me a song that I want to show you this is what happens when you have a daughter that <laughs> writes you songs before they can spell. <laughs> Farter, I love you. You're the best preacher that I've ever known. I told Danielle after she gave me that, I said, We need to teach the kid how to spell. And Danielle said, I think we may have had Mexican the night before she wrote that, so she's pretty smart. It might not be a typo. That may be that may be real. But at any rate, when I had kids, God is father. Became a whole new concept to me in my relationship with God, which is rare um, because I had grown up in church. You heard Ryan talk about his story today. I mean, I, I was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I tell people the only problem, the drug problem that I ever had, is that I was drugged to church. Like every time the doors were open, I was in church. And scripture teaches us about God as Father. Jesus taught us to pray by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Like, it's clear that we should see God as Father, and God as Father is something that's cemented into the foundation of the church through the Apostles' Creed. When my son turned 13, I bought him a basketball goal. And instead of just having it installed, I thought, you know, I want to create a memory with my son. I want to create an experience. So we dug the hole ourselves. We mixed the cement ourselves. We put the thing up ourselves. And while the cement was still wet, my son carved his initials in it, CN II, because his name is Christian II. And if you go to that basketball goal today, you can still see his initials carved in the cement. As the early church was starting... The apostles basically wrote in wet cement what the church believed, what it meant to be a Christian. And as that concrete dried around the foundations of the church, what we were left with is a set of beliefs that we now talk about today as the Apostles' Creed. We're in a series all summer long called Old Time Religion where we are studying the foundational theology. The word theology means knowledge of God, of the Apostles' Creed. We're asking this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like 2,000 years ago, what did it mean to be a Christian? We're looking at what we believe, why we believe it, and how that belief should spur our life. So inside your bulletin is this little card that says the Apostles' Creed. I want you to reach for it now. If you've already turned on your JCI app and you're not yet to ESPN Highlights, you'll see the Apostles' Creed on that app. And it'll also be on the screen, but most difficult to read on the screen because it's one line at a time. And every Sunday this summer, in honor of the foundational theology In the teaching of the apostles, we're going to stand and read together the Apostles' Creed. So would you stand with me right now with this card in your hand or your app opened up on your phone or tablet or directing your attention to the screen and let's together for 2,000 years remind ourselves what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. Here's what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we talked about the first two words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe. We talked about what it means to believe. We talked about what it looks like to believe. And we talked about unbelief, and we challenged that a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about believing in God as Father Almighty. And next week, we're going to talk about God as Creator. The first three weeks, we are getting up and going quick. But let me ask you a question today. Do you believe in God as a father do you believe in God as a good good father because Jesus wants us to have that picture if you have your Bibles go to Luke chapter 15 because in Luke chapter 15 Jesus was trying to teach us about a picture of God's heart all throughout the the chapter Jesus is trying to show us a picture of God's affection for humanity of God's long suffering for humanity of God's Patience with both the religious and the irreligious. And in Luke chapter 15, God says, "Here's Jesus says, here's how I want you. To view God. Now, this is a pretty famous Bible story if you've grown up in and around church. And if you haven't grown up in church, we're so glad you're here today. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here today. I hope you'll learn some things about God and Christianity today that maybe you never knew. And they'll spur some questions we can answer. But you might know Luke chapter 15 if you're a church person as the parable of the prodigal son. And it is about a prodigal son. But underneath the truth of the prodigal son is the truth of a father that Jesus wants us to see God as, and let me say this to those of you who had great dads, and Father's Day is great for you, we're gonna show you a picture of a great dad today. For those of you who have already tuned out, because I've said I want you to see God as Father, and you don't have a good relationship with your dad, or maybe your dad left early, or maybe you suffered at the hands of your dad, I want you to know that Jesus is gonna show us a picture of God as a good father, not your father. So I want you to try as much as you can to remove your experience of dad from your life and I want you to lean into what dad should look like as we learn about a good father from Luke chapter 15. Jesus is teaching. He's in the third of three stories about the heart of God and here's what it says in Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Let me ask you a quick question this morning. What do you think of when you think of God? Like what's the picture that pops into your head? When I, when I ask you to think of God, what do you think about? Do you see a judge sitting in a big black robe at kind of a, a big desk waiting to pass judgment on your life? Do you see an old man with a big flowing beard kind like of like one of the Lord of the Rings wizards? Do you see a picture of Jesus that you've seen hanging in a house or a church or on stained glass somewhere? What do you think of When you think of God. Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus teaches us to see God and his kingdom through the lens of a father. Jesus says, when you think of God, I want you to think of him as this dad. Not just a father, but this father. When you think of God, I want you to think of him like this father. So on Father's Day, we celebrate not just this fact, but we try to learn what this teaches us about God. And it teaches us three pretty powerful things that I think can impact us and our understanding of God and maybe people in our lives and how they're doing spiritually. Number one, first we see that God is the longing father of the rebellious. I mean, if God is this father in Luke chapter 15, then God is the longing father of the rebellious. We understand the rebellious because we focus so much on the prodigal that sometimes we actually don't even see the dad in the story, but the story's more about the dad than it is the son. But we got to look at the prodigal. We got to look at the rebellious. This prodigal rebellious son wanted all that the father could offer him without any relationship or submission to the father. He was in complete rebellion to him. But when you look at that definition, we have to kind of look in the mirror and say, man, like, is that me? Is that, is that us spiritually? He wanted all that the father could offer him without any relationship or submission to the father. I want you to hear the words he said to his dad because they were basically this... You you would be better off to me if you were dead. All you can offer me is my inheritance. I don't want anything from you except what you can give me. So I I wish you were dead because then I would have what I need from you. I want my inheritance now, what I would get when you die. And the dad actually agreed to give it to him. But it's this son that we often focus on. It's like, man, how could anyone be that way? How could anyone... Go to their father and say, I want all these things from you, but I want no relationship with you. Do you know it's really easy for us to do that spiritually? I mean, it's the prodigal son, but honestly, on the surface, it's kind of like all of us. I mean, all of us can fall into this uneven ground spiritually. Let me ask you this question. Maybe it'll help you discover it a little bit today. Are you here today out of devotion or out of duty? All the women were like, that's a great question. All the men are like, he said duty. Because like we've got some guys in our church that we're still praying for. But let me ask you a question again, now that you're back with me. Are you here out of devotion or are you here out of duty? Like, are you here because you love God? And like when you worship, it feels like you're with God. And when you listen to his word, it it feels like you're close to God. Or are you here because it's Sunday and on Sunday you go to church? It's just a duty that you do. You go to church on Sundays. Let me ask it another way. If God would give you forgiveness for all of your past and eternity for all of your future and not require anything of you in the present, would that be easier for you? Would that be better for you? Would that be a better deal for you? Like if you could have forgiveness for your past and heaven for your eternity without any commitment in the present, would you take that deal? Some of you say, man, well, like if I could have peace and still be blessed in my present, Like if I could have all the blessings and promises of God without God, I'd have to consider that. How about you? Are you in it for the promises and blessings of God, or are you in it for God as father and a relationship? You know God actually offered this deal to a generation of people? All the blessings and promises of God without God. He offered them that deal. We see in the book of Exodus a man named Moses who was raised as kind of a a stepson in the house of Pharaoh and Then later in life, he went to try to lead his own people out of 400 years of slavery. God worked all these kind of miracles in the land of Egypt to allow him to get out to the desert. But the entire time in the desert, they were questioning God and should we be here and should we do something else? And when are we going to get to the land? God had promised them a land, a nation, protection, identity. God had promised them all these things. But they grumbled against God so much that in Exodus 33 verse 3, God said this to Moses. Listen, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey but I'm not going with you. Go up. You can have it. You can have all the blessings I've promised you. You can have all the promises that I've given. Just take them, but I'm not coming. You can have all the blessings and promises of God, but no God. And Moses in verse 15 said, no deal. No deal. Moses said, for me, it's not about the promises of God. It's about the presence of God. And Moses said, I'd rather live in your presence today than your promise tomorrow without your presence. So I'm not moving. You don't go. We don't go. Would you, would you take that deal? All of the blessings and promises of God without God? Or would you say no deal? I'd rather have God without the blessings and promises because the presence is the most important part of the promise. We meet a son today that wanted all that the father could offer him without any real relationship or submission to the father until he was in need. The scripture says when he was in need, he came to his senses and thought, I'm going to starve to death here. At least the guys who work for my dad have stuff to eat. Maybe I should go back. And the hope of this rebellious son when he hit rock bottom, his hope was that he had a forgiving and grace-filled Father. His hope was that I know my dad well and my dad is a forgiving man. More than that, I know my dad well and my my dad is a grace filled man. The word grace means undeserved favor. He basically said, My dad will not treat me as my deeds deserve, but my dad will treat me according to his good heart. I can go back to my dad because he's not going to hold my life against me. My dad will treat me with undeserved favor. Am I the only person that my freshman year of college kind of lost my mind a little bit when I finally like got out of the house and got to be on my own? I did not make the best decisions between my senior year of high school and my sophomore year of college. One of the worst decisions I made when I was a freshman at Liberty University in Virginia um, is my roommate and I were out, and we had some girls that we just met, uh, and we decided to play it real close to curfew one night. I played football there, and we had to be in bed at a certain time every night. If we weren't, we'd have to run for two weeks every day at 5 a.m., and we were cutting it real close. As a matter of fact, too close, and we kind of looked up, and we thought, we're going to be late. So, man, we jumped in our car, and we started flying back to school And in the process of flying back to school, I ran a red light right as a car was coming through the intersection, and I drilled them. Thank God nobody was hurt. I caught, like, the last back panel of their car and their driver's side tire, spun the car around several times, didn't do a ton of damage to mine. It made theirs undrivable. So until 2 a.m., I'm sitting at a stoplight thinking, I'm going to be, like... Anyone I know in authority, I'm going to be in trouble with, you know, when I finally get home. And sure enough, I was. We ran every day for 5 a.m., and the cops came, and they filed a police report, and it was awful. But about two weeks after that, the couple that was in the other car, um, their attorney, their insurance um, person just started harassing me. I'm an 18-year-old college kid, and they started calling me every day, demanding money, demanding this, we're going to come to school, we're going to find you. Um, it, my grades started tanking, I couldn't sleep, like I, I was just dying inside from the consequences of my mistake, all my fault, but it was killing me. And I remember calling my dad after two weeks saying, dad, I don't know what to do, they call me every day. Dad, they leave voicemails every day, they say they're going to come to campus, and I remember my dad saying, what's the phone number they ask you to call them back on? And I said, Why? And he said, what's the phone number they told you to call them back on? And I gave my dad the phone number, and he said, I'll call you right back. Fifteen minutes later, my phone rang, and it was my dad. And he said, you won't hear from them anymore. And I said, what'd you do? And he said, you won't hear from them anymore. I've taken care of it. I didn't deserve my dad's grace at that minute. My consequences, my wreck, my money should have all been on me, but my dad took care of it. And I was glad in that moment to have a grace-filled, forgiving, strong dad who would fight for me. And that's who God wants to be for you. Regardless of how reckless you've been, regardless of how rebellious you've been, regardless of you know, how much you've made it about you other than God, and you've taken his blessing but not had a relationship, God always is a longing father to the rebellious who wants to fight for you and who will show grace to you. God is a longing father of the rebellious. Whether we're off track a little bit or a lot, God is a longing father of the rebellious. He's also, secondly, the loving father to the self-righteous. If we look at this story, we focus on the prodigal son, we focus on the father. Rarely do we focus on the older boy, but there's a spiritual wake-up call for everyone who considers himself a Christian written into this story about this second son. And what we learn from this Bible text is that over the course of life, all of our spiritual motivations ultimately get revealed. Like if you just live long enough, your spiritual motivations are going to be uncovered. And there's a verse in Luke chapter 15 that doesn't really kind of stand off the page until you look a little deeper and then you look into your own heart. The younger son comes home. The dad's throwing a party, the older boy comes back, and now he's ticked at his dad. He won't even go in the party, so his dad has to go out and talk to him and say, come on, you've got to come in. Listen to what the son says in Luke 15, 29. The son answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Listen, I don't believe this son served his entire life feeling like a slave, hoping to get a goat. Like, I don't believe that was his initial motivation in life. But what happened is this moment in time revealed that his heart was no better than his brother's. He was the exact same person as his brother, just with more patience and a little more polish. I am with dad for what dad can give me, not who dad is. And when push came to shove, kind of... He just kind of vomited out this motivation of, where's my goat? Let me ask you a question today. What's your goat? What's your goat? You so say, what do you mean, what's my goat? What's that thing that'll convince you to walk away from God? What's that thing that ever so slowly, and you may have not even realized it yet, has taken your, your, your connection to God and moved it from relational to transactional. From relational, I want to be with you, to transactional, you better come through for me. You know, I've never met anyone. I've prayed with hundreds and hundreds of teenagers and adults who have given their hearts to Jesus. I have never in any of those moments prayed with someone and said, tell me why today you want to follow Jesus. I've never had anyone say, I want to follow Jesus, so I'll never get sick, so I'll never get injured, so I'm always healthy. I've never had that be anybody's motivation To connect relationally with God. But I can't tell you how many dozens of Christians I've seen question God because they didn't get their goat. Their health is bad, they're sick, they're hurt, and all of a sudden they wonder if God is good. Where's my goat? Like their relationship has moved from relational to transactional. Where's my goat? I've never prayed with anyone who said yes to Jesus and said, tell me why you want Jesus in your life. And they said, so I can always have financial security and never have financial stress. But I can't tell you the number of Christians I've watched question God because of financial stress. Their connection started out relational, but it moved transactional because they didn't get their goat. I've never been with someone who has said, I want to say yes to Jesus because I want job security my entire life. That's never the motivation to connect with Jesus. But I've watched people consider disconnecting from Jesus because they lost their job and they didn't even realize it, but somehow they went from relational to transactional. I've never prayed with anyone who said, I want to say yes to Jesus because I never want my family, friends, or any relationships I have to be in crisis or to live through heartache. But I can't tell you how many Christians I've watched disconnect from jesus because it happens what they've proven is they've gone from relational to transactional at some point and when they didn't get their goat they were out it wasn't that they came for the goat but somewhere the goat became more important than the god so what's your goat and if you could be really honest today are you in a relational season of connection with god or are you in a transactional season of relationship with god just check the bitterness and the tension in your heart. It will tell you, and our goats usually are very easy to see. You see, this self-righteous son had developed a worldview that the father owed him. He owed him. You owe this to me. And the father said, I, listen, I've given you everything. No, 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 you owe this too. So let me ask you, beyond forgiveness for your past and eternity for your future, what does God owe you that is becoming maybe a root of bitterness in you? I don't want I, I to make it seem like an easy thing. I, like, I get it. I get that life is hard. I get that there are things that make us question whether God is a good, good father. I had lunch on Monday with a man from our church whose father was battling stage 4 cancer. I left that meeting, and Monday night, Danielle and I were walking around our neighborhood, and we ran into a lady from our church who, one of her best friends, a 40-year-old man, married one year, has shot himself earlier that morning. I woke up on Tuesday morning and had texts from a kid in our youth group saying my friend wants to kill himself. What do I tell him? Right after that, I got a text from a businessman in our church whose number two had quit, and he thought his whole company would maybe fall apart. On Wednesday morning, spent time with a family trying to figure out long-term care for a pretty young father who'd begin to suffer with dementia then I turn on the TV and somebody shot up a congressional baseball practice, you know. And then I, I, I read online that one of the most influential Christian women in America today, Lisa Kirst, her husband's been having an affair and they're filing for divorce after 18 months. And I'm thinking, Lord God, what is going on in our world? And I had this question that I ask every now and then. Why doesn't Jesus just come back already and end this misery? Like, why can't we just get out of here? Like, the promises of eternity, I'll take them now because this life is too hard. I'm sick of bad news. I don't know how anyone can endure this. God, why don't you just come back and end this misery? Gus God says, good question. Christians have been asking it for 2,000 years, just so you don't think you're the first one with this struggle. And as a matter of fact, Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends one of his last statements to his friends in Second Peter 3, 9 through 15, was answering this question about, listen, trust God. He said, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise of returning to make everything better. As some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So bear in mind that our Lord's patience means Salvation. So when I said this week walking around our neighborhood, God, why don't you just come back already and end this? I felt like God whispered into my heart, you know, someone said that to me, Christian, the day before you got saved. And I thought, if I can wait one more day, a little boy named Christian Newsom in southern Ohio can hear about Jesus and give his heart to him. Why don't you just come back and end this? Because if I wait one more day, there's a village in West Africa who has no concept of who Jesus is. And the missionaries will be there tomorrow if we can wait one more day. God, why don't you just end this? Because there is a wife who's been praying for her husband. And if we'll give it one more week, next week is the week that he's going to say yes to Jesus. I feel like God said, Christian, will you let me help you through this hard life so that another person can one day experience eternal life? Like, can you be patient with my patience and trust me for eternity. Listen, life is never easy, but Jesus is never absent. Like somebody, I'll say, Amen. Life is never easy, but Jesus is never absent. Not a day of your life has He disappeared. Not a moment in your weakest moment has He gone. Life is never easy, but Jesus is never absent. And if we can hang on to God for one more day, one more person might be reached, and that is the heart. Of a loving father, So we see God is a longing father to the rebellious. God is a loving father to the self-righteous. And thankfully God becomes a lasting father to those who will receive him. God becomes a lasting eternal father to those who will receive him. I don't know if you noticed it, but in both cases with both sons... The father went out to his sons to offer relationship with him. There's no better picture of Jesus who stepped out of heaven to come to earth to tell us, you can be with me too, than this father who saw his son a long way off and he went to him and said, come back. And then who saw his son outside the party and went to him and said, come back. God, our father, is all about going outside to bring us inside to receive people to him so that he can be a lasting father. And what does he offer? It's unbelievable. In Luke chapter 15, verses 22 through 23, we see the heart of a father, and we see what a father can offer those who would receive him. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. To those who would receive the father, there's so much spiritual symbolism written into these two verses. The father said, put a coat on him. A coat 2,000 years ago and even 4,000 years ago would signify, would symbolize protection. It would protect you from the sun's hot rays in the summer. It would protect you from the cold winter nights in the desert in the winter. When you had a coat, you had protection. The father was basically saying, if you will come to me, I'll receive you and I will protect you in your life. He said, put a ring on his finger. The ring symbolized connection. The ring probably would have been a family ring, some kind of family crest or family heirloom. The ring would have said not only to the son, but everyone who knew the son, the son is connected to the father. The merchant would know that the father's money is good with the son. The friends would know the father is good with the son, so we'll be his friends too. The town would know the son and the father are connected because of the ring that he wore. The father said put sandals on his feet from the Old Testament scriptures to the new. When we talk about sandals and feet, we're always talking about direction in life. And stability in life from psalm 119 where it said god's word directs our past one step at a time To ephesians chapter 6 when we see that god puts on our feet the preparedness of spiritual stability for the hard things in life And then when he brings the fattened calf and he kills it we see god offers provision Not just for one meal But this would symbolize that you are good with me and I will take care of you for a lifetime You see, to those who would receive the Father, they would receive protection, connection, direction, stability, and provision. Who doesn't want a dad like that? The apostles 2,000 years ago invited people into a relationship with God based on their knowledge of Him as the Father from Luke chapter 15. And they tell us 2,000 years later that Christians believe in God, the Father Almighty, who is a good, good Father A few months ago, the NFL draft happened in Philadelphia. Nearly 100,000 people showed up to watch the first three rounds of the NFL draft on a Thursday and a Friday night. The weekend before the draft, the Tennessee Titans GM should have been preparing for the draft with his team, but he took a day off to go to an event in downtown Nashville, at the Omni Hotel that was raising money for childhood diabetes. It was a black tie event, nearly 1,000 people in the room. They had a meal, they celebrated some kids, they did some things. And kind of the end the night, they had an auction, a live auction, where they would raise money for research against childhood diabetes. Then the event went on, and they raised thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But the last item up for bid was a painting called Dreams of the Future painting. A dozen kids under the age of 13 who had type 1 insulin-dependent diabetes had basically made a painting where they had all painted one phrase of what their dream would be if they could be cured of Diabetes. And the kids lined the stage beside the painting as they began to auction it off. Started at $500. Who'll give me five? Someone gave five. And he said, All right, we've got five. Who'll give me a thousand? And a guy gave a thousand. And as the auctioneer kept shifting his eyes, he noticed that somebody on the right would outbid everyone. They bid here and then he would bid. Then they bid here and he would bid. And after a few minutes, he looked over and he realized that the guy never put his bid card down. Bid card 486. As he did the auction, he realized this guy literally never put his hand down. And eventually, everyone in the room realized this guy didn't put his hand down. He was going to win this. And then one of the little girls on the stage, an 11-year-old girl named Taylor, looked out and saw the bid card in the air and realized that it was her dad, Tennessee Titans general manager, John Robinson. And as people realized what had happened and they realized they weren't going to outbid him, John, with tears streaming down his face and his little girl's with tears streaming down her face, she came to the front of the stage and he walked up with his bid card still in the air because he wasn't going to lose it. And he met her at the front of the stage. You can see the picture on the screen behind me. And as they hugged and cried, the room erupted in applause while the auctioneer kept going. 8000 9000 Finally, he got to 10000 And he basically realized, this dad will pay whatever we want. And he shut it off and sold it to him for $10,000. As the dad turned around, dad and daughter arm in arm, tears rolling down their face. The whole room knew his father was going to fight. Later in an interview, somebody asked him what came over him. He said, when I put the bid card up and I realized that others were going to be bidding against it, I realized I wanted my daughter to know that nobody would fight longer. Nobody would pay more. Nobody would give more to help their child than I would give on this night for my daughter. That's the picture of a good, good father. That's the picture of a longing father, of a loving father. You need to understand today, no one will fight longer for you than God, our father. No one will pay a higher price for you than God, our father. And no one will leave their card in the air longer than God, our father. He'll leave it there until you meet him. So do you know him? Maybe you're kind of in a rebellious state where you've come to God for what he can offer you, but you've disconnected relationally. He's going to hold his bid card up until you meet him again. Maybe you're here today and at some point your faith has gone from relational to transactional. You didn't even realize it, but you're more focused on your goat than your God. God is going to leave his bid card up until you meet him. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian at all, but if this God exists, you realize he's not going to put the car down until he's given you all the chances you need to meet him. Maybe today you want to say yes to Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?